0: You know, as you just saw all those kids on stage, I just want to highlight what a great week it was for our church family. It was a fantastic time that we had to get together to invest in the lives of 140 kids at Flip Camp this week. It was a fantastic week, yeah. Now the truth is many of you are here today because of your kids' participation You had that opportunity and said, hey, my kid's going to get up on stage and it's going to be great. And for those of you who are here today because of that, I just want to welcome you here and say we are glad that you have joined us Today. Now, I want you to know that serving at camp all week gave me an opportunity to see a lot of different things. I had an opportunity to just see some really, really awesome kids. I had an opportunity to see them laugh. I had an opportunity to see tons of smiles. And what I walked away with is that we have some really, really great kids here at our church. Amen. Absolutely. And, you know, I thought to myself as I was working with the kids, I thought, man, these these are coming from some really great families too. But then the reality is I was also preparing this message. And I thought to myself, we do have some really great families. (laughs) And we're all dysfunctional. (laughs) <laughs> we have families that are filled with dysfunction. Now, some of you might be like, okay, wait, wait, hold up. The, the pastor just said we're all a mess. Did he, did he really just say that? Well, pastors don't typically like to offend the congregation in sort of their introduction of the message, and yet that is not my heartbeat in doing this. But what I really want to highlight for us is that we can have some really great kids, some really great families, and we do. But that doesn't mean that we don't struggle in the midst of that with some significant dysfunction. But I want to give you a measure of hope today. Because both of those things can be true. They can be held in tension. And we can walk forward with hope today. Because of this truth, God's grace prevails over family dysfunction. I'm going to say that one more time. God's grace prevails over family dysfunction. So if you are here today and you are feeling a little overwhelmed by the things going on in your family, maybe it's your immediate family, maybe it's your extended family, you're in the right place you are in the right place because god is at work and his grace prevails in the midst of the greatness and in the midst of the dysfunction. And you might say, "Well, pastor, how can you say that today?" Well, I can say that because we're going to see that played out in the word of god. But before we turn there, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We give you praise for a fantastic week. For a week where we saw kids engaged and studying your word and reading your word and engaging with your word and having fun with each other, having fun with our leaders, smiles, laughter, just a fantastic week. And for that, we're grateful. But, God, as we quiet our hearts here over the next few moments, we also want to be real before you. We can give you praise for that reality, but we can also have this moment where we're real before you and we say, God, we have struggles too. We can have this moment where they're held in tension. And in that space, God, we need your grace. And so we thank you that we have it in Jesus. That through Christ, you provide your amazing grace. And so, God, we lean into that grace today where you might minister to our hearts for those who are struggling, for those who are broken, for those who are sad. We ask that your Holy Spirit would meet with us in this moment through the power of your word. Because, God, your word tells us that it is active can do things to mold and shape our hearts. And so we invite you through your Holy Spirit to give, to give us eyes to see the truth on its pages and change us, to give us ears to hear the truth that's found in the pages of your word and mold us and shape us. Give us humble hearts that you might make us a little bit more like Jesus in the week ahead. And we ask this. In his name, amen. Well, church, we're going to begin a journey through a few different portions of the book of Genesis today. Now, oftentimes what we'll do is we'll camp on one particular portion of a text and we'll kind of drill down. Today's going to be a little bit different. We're going to be examining what's called an Old Testament narrative, and so we're going to be looking at a number of, of passages of scripture as we work through a few different chapters near the end of the book of Genesis. What we're going to find is a really dysfunctional family. And yet it's a family that plays a very prominent role in what God is doing to move his plan forward. So remember, I said those things can be held in tension. Things can be really good and things can be really difficult all at the same time. So I want to invite you, we're going to turn uh, to Genesis chapter 26 right at the end. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to be reading a rather long portion of scripture. If you'd like to read along with me, absolutely please do that. You're going to find it at the end of Genesis chapter 26. And then I'm going to read a lot of Genesis chapter 27. Now, you might say, well, why read a lot? Because it's a narrative. And it's a story, and it's important that we grab a hold of this story. So, if uh, you don't want to read along, feel free. Sit back, settle in. Here is what God's Word tells us from Genesis chapter twenty-six, verse thirty-four. It says, "When Esau was forty years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, to be his wife." and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah, I'll just quick pause. Those are his parents. And so when Isaac was old, chapter 27, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son? And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out into the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and I may bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves." You shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Do you see the dysfunction rolling in this story? But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and he'll, he shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing so that I might receive this curse instead of the blessing that we are, are working on here. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. And so he went and he took them and he brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, and, were, and which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her youngest son. And skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father, and he said, "'My father, here I am. "'Who are you, my son?' Jacob said to uh, his father, "'I am Esau, your firstborn. "'I have done as you told me. "'Now sit up and eat my game, "'that your soul may bless me.' "'But Isaac said to his son, "'How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son?' He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. So then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands, they are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and I may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father said to him, Come near to me and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and he blessed him. And he said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting and he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father and he said to his father let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you that you may bless me and his father isaac said to him who are you he said i am your son i'm your firstborn i'm esau And then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and a bitter cry and said to his father, bless me even Me also, oh, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. It's a long story. Remember a few moments ago that I told you that God's grace prevails over family dysfunction? You guys remember that? Do you remember that God's grace prevails over family dysfunction? Was that dysfunction? Was that intense? Was it severe dysfunction? It's really messed up, isn't it? I mean, as you listen to it, there's a whole lot of dynamics in that story that are really messed up. And so I hope that what I said earlier, that we are a collection of people who are messed up and who need God's grace, you would recognize, yeah, that's true of biblical families and it's true of my family as well. And so I hope that as you hear that story, a family issue and family drama, that you might be able to connect it with your own for just a moment and that you might say, I have some hope in the midst of it. But I also want you to know that what we read in that story highlights something else for us today. I hope you see clearly in what we just listened to that disobedience is what leads to family dysfunction. That disobedience is that thing that leads to family dysfunction. Now, at first glance, you might say, well, wait a second. I heard a lot of things in that story, but I didn't necessarily hear disobedience. Clearly, Jacob's and Rebecca's actions were dishonest and deceptive, but disobedient? Family issues run a little deeper than what first meets the eye. What I didn't read was what was said in Genesis chapter 25, what came earlier. And this is where God gives Isaac some clear direction. God gives Isaac, the father, some clear marching order, some clear vision. Here's what he says. He said, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. God had said that it was the younger who would rule over the older you have to know that in this this narrative is very contrary to cultural norms it is the older one who receives the family blessing this just did not happen this is not how it was supposed to work Now this right here, what we read, begins a series of actions that run contrary or move in an area of disobedience to what God is doing. So let's kind of keep score here for just a moment. Isaac in his old age defies. Rebekah, Isaac's wife, schemes. Jacob, the younger son, deceives. And ultimately Esau, the older brother, disconnects. These are all acts of disobedience. They run in direct contradiction to God and to his word. Now here's what we have to recognize about the story. Nobody was satisfied with God's plan for them. That's what's going on in the story. So what do they do? Just like you and I do. When I'm not happy with what God is doing in my life, I try taking things into my own hands. I try changing. I try manipulating my narrative because I'm not happy with the way it's turning out, so I'm going to do something about it. That's what we see in this text, and that is disobedience. What about you? Let's take this from the text of the Scriptures and move it into our own heart and mind. What about you today? When you read the story... You see the dysfunction. You see the disobedience. Do you ever pause to think that your own disobedience might be at the root of the dysfunction? Church family, it's always appropriate for us to pause in the midst of whatever it is that we're walking and evaluate our own hearts to evaluate what we might be contributing to this situation. I don't want to be too heavy about this and too heavy-handed about it, but I do think every single one of us, whatever the, the dysfunction might be, we have to examine our own hearts in that and what we contribute to the story. But here's the reality. You guys didn't come to church today particularly on a day where we're having a family picnic to get all down and heavy about your struggles. You know them. I don't need to tell you what they are. You know the difficulty of your family dysfunction that you walked in here with. And so what I hope to do in the next few moments is not just focus on that, but instead focus on where we can have where you and I might be able to turn away from the struggles with humble hearts and eyes focused on hope. I'm talking true, genuine, real, authentic hope. Right in the midst of the struggle, right in the midst of the dysfunction, you can have that, you can experience that. You'd say, wait a minute, where can I find hope? Do I muster that up within myself? Like I just try harder to be happy. I try harder to make it right. I try harder and I try harder. That's not what I'm talking about. Is it some sort of starry-eyed pipe dream that I just sort of act like nothing's wrong? No, it's not that either. The reality of the Christian faith is that it is rooted in truth. It is rooted in truth, and the hope of God's people is found in him and in his word. That's where we find hope, even in the midst of the struggle. So let's continue on in the story. Learn about the fallout of this family dysfunction that we just read. We're going to skip ahead to Genesis chapter 28, verses 3 through 5. This is God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of people. May he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. In the midst of the dysfunction, Isaac blesses Jacob. This is the second time and this time he uses similar words. It's the same phrase that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the same phrase that God gives to Abraham and to who is Isaac's father you may recall when he established his covenant with him. Here are the words he says, "Be fruitful and multiply. Blessing to you and your offspring. These are the words of God to his people. This is what God desires to do for the faithful. And church, this is something that reveals the plan of God continues to move forward, sometimes in spite of our disobedience, in the face of our dysfunction. And when it does, and when it moves forward in spite of all that, what we can stand upon is one simple truth, that God's grace shines through our family dysfunction. God's grace shines through it. It is the grace of God. They might say, well, how do you get that from this text? How can you pick that out of this particular passage? Because what we see here is that Jacob, the recipient of God's covenantal blessing from the mouth of his father, did nothing to earn God's favor. He didn't do anything. He didn't have some high level of integrity. We've already heard how that played out. He did not have some long history of spiritual faithfulness. Instead, what's on display in this story, and what I hope each one of us will recognize from this text as we consider what's going on that might give us a measure of hope this morning, is that in spite of the brokenness, in spite of the dysfunction in Jacob's life and in his family, God still bestows upon him unmerited favor. He still gives him his grace. God's grace is still active in his life. You see, we can say that because what we're seeing here in this text is the grace of a holy and righteous God. It is not something that is earned. So he gets things like a blessing. He gets the kindness of God. He gets the favor of God. That's what we see here. And this is a powerful part of our story. But if we're going to be honest, we have to say that's a nice story. What does that have to do with me? I mean, really, I'm, I'm sitting here in, in White Lake, Michigan on a Sunday in the middle of summer. What does that have to do with me? Everything. 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 It has everything to do with you because this type of blessing and this type of kindness and this type of favor is given to all who are in Christ, to all who repent of our sin, to all who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the recipient of God's amazing grace. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are children of God through Christ. everyone who is the recipient of that should say amen, praise God. And before we breeze over this this morning, before we just blow past this and say, yeah, I understand that, I got that, Pastor. I heard that little narrative. That's a nice thing you talked about, grace and forgiveness and redemption. Here is the question that everybody needs to consider today. Is that true of you? Is that your story? I'm not talking about the person next to you. Is that your story? Have you received God's amazing grace through Christ, his son? Or perhaps you're stuck in the dysfunction of the 21st century American life. Maybe that's where you are today. You'd say, I came to church today, but man, I am tired. I am weary. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. If that's where you are today, if you are tired and weary and worn out, listen to these words. He says, come to me, all who are weary and all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart that you will find rest you will find rest for your souls church that is a clear and vivid invitation that jesus to all offers to all of us if we just have faith in him So in spite of the brokenness of our personal story, Jesus invites you in the midst of what you're walking to come to him. Why? Because he is gracious and he is full of compassion and he wants you to experience that. You know, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I meet with people and have that awkward conversation. Oh, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a businessman. What do you do? I'm a pastor. I get this. happens and then usually something comes up like this well you know I really I really want to go to church but I can't go to church Well, yeah why is that I'm too much of a mess my life is just disorganized I'm struggling in so many areas I, I have to clean myself up first before I come to church I got to put myself together a little bit In the most pastoral way that I can say this, that's not true. It's not true. We're all a mess. Began with that at the beginning. I'm going to bring it here in the middle. Every single one of us in this room today, everyone watching online has issues if you look hard enough. There are no perfect people and there are no perfect families. This is why I love the words that Philip Yancey writes in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. Yancey tells of his childhood experience of going to church. Listen to what he says. He says, as a child, I put on my best behavior on Sunday mornings. I dressed up for God and the Christians around me. Never occurred to me that the church was a place to be honest. Now. As I seek to look at the world through the lens of grace, I realize that imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. Light only gets in through cracks. Church, that's why all of God's people should be excited about God's grace. Every single one of us here should be excited about God's grace because we don't deserve it, and yet God gives it to us freely in Jesus. For those of you who are visiting with us today, maybe just come a few times, I want you to know that you are at a church of flawed people. And we would love to have you join us on the journey. We'd love for you to journey with us. Now, let's finish up looking at our story of these two brothers. I want you to know it ends in some with some powerful truths. So here we go. Some time passes. Jacob leaves his family, and he goes to live with his uncle. He's with his uncle, a guy by the name of Laban, and he's gone for about 15 years. God eventually calls him, and he says, Jacob, I need you to go back to your homeland. As you may recall, he was at odds with his brother when he left. They didn't have cell phones. They weren't texting to fix things. He was gone, and he was gone for a long time. And remember, he did that little thing called stealing his blessing. So Jacob prepares for the worst. He knows he needs to go because God has called him to go, go back to his homeland, and he prepares for the worst. He thinks, you know what, my brother might even have revenge for me. And this is why what happens next is so powerful. Genesis 33, verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him. He ran to meet him and he embraced him and he fell on his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Such a... A powerful picture. Instead of seeking revenge, instead of practicing hostility, Jacob is greeted with kindness and he's greeted with warmth. It's absolutely beautiful. When you know the story of where they were and where they are, in this moment it is absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. And so after this embrace, Jacob introduces his family, he introduces his servants and then the others, and then what he does is he brings Esau a gift. Let's pick up the story at verse 9, 33, verse 9. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like the face of God, and you You have accepted me. So please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Did you catch that one little word in there? The word blessing. The word blessing should in fact connect with what he received from his father Isaac. And now Jacob acknowledges the wrong that he committed, and he is in this moment seeking to bring reparation. And so Esau accepts the blessing. There is reconciliation, there is restoration, and in this moment, it is sealed. So in spite of years of family dysfunction, two brothers in this moment experience a powerful moment of reconciliation. Why? Because God graciously intervened. God gave his grace to reconcile family dysfunction. And it can be true of you too. God's grace can reconcile the family dysfunction that you might be experiencing. This is for all believers. We can be reconciled to God through Christ. That is the vertical relationship and in the horizontal we can be reconciled to family members by submitting to the grace of God in our lives and church this is where hope comes in now as we close I want to make this practical for you I want to make this practical in terms of your relationships. I want you to consider with me for just a moment, is there someone in your family who you need to follow Jacob's example and pursue reconciliation? Or is there someone in your family whom you need to receive their offer of reconciliation? Reconciliation. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that after a 30-minute sermon, some complex situations are going to be immediately fixed, that you're going to walk out of here after having a family picnic and a hot dog, and everything's going to tie together like a 30-minute sitcom. It's not that simple. I realize that. But it is my hope that as you hear the story of Jacob and Esau, that you might grab a hold of the reality that in our dysfunction there is hope. There is real hope because of the character of our God. He is gracious and He can bring reconciliation to your family. Amen.